I'm reading about Zen and haiku poetry. It's in the in the essays of Tazit Suzuki from a book Zen in Japanese culture. I'm section seven. To illustrate how desirable it is to have a thorough knowledge of Japanese surroundings, physical, moral, aesthetic, and philosophical, let me cite another haiku, this time by Busan, 1763, who was also a fine painter of the late Tokugawa era. It reads thus, Surigani-ni. Tumariti Nimuru Kocho Kana. On the temple bell, perching, sleeps the butterfly. Oh. This aspect of this verse will not be very easy to apprehend unless we know all about the temple bell and the butterfly as they appeal to the Japanese imagination. The haiku, as far as the season is concerned, Heavenly belongs to the early summer, for the butterfly generally comes out at that time of year and becomes noticeable as an object of poetic imagination. The butterfly is then associated with flowers, and the flowers are now in bloom in the temple grounds where the bell is located. The imagination now leads us to the mountain monastery far away from the cities. To the monks given up to meditation, to the old trees, the wild mountain flowers, and perhaps to the murmuring of the rivulet, all is suggestive of a quiet, unworldly atmosphere, undisturbed by human affairs of greed and strife. The belfry is not far above the ground, and the bell is exposed to view and approachable. It is of solid bronze, cylindrical in shape, somber and grave in color. As it hangs down from the beam, it is the symbol of immovability. When it is struck by the bottom with a strong piece of wood about five inches in diameter and five feet or more long, Sustained horizontally, it gives off a series of soul-quieting sound waves. The boom is altogether characteristic of the Japanese temple bear, and sometimes one is made to feel the spirit of Buddhism vibrates through this resonance sent out from the belfry, especially when the birds are willingly coming back to their nest after the day's labor. The poem again goes, On the temple bell, perching sleeps the butterfly. Oh. Let us now observe in this setting, natural and historical and spiritual, a little white butterfly perched on the bell and gone to sleep. The contrast at once strikes us in various ways. The butterfly is a small, evanescent creature. Its life does not extend beyond the summer. But while living, it enjoys itself to the highest degree, fluttering from flower to flower, occasionally basking in the relaxing sun, and now it is found dozing contentedly at the edge of the large, awe-inspiring temple bell, symbolic of eternal value. In magnitude and dignity, the insect sand stands in great contrast to the bell and color to the dainty little white creature, delicate and fluttering 
is set off markedly against the heavy, darkish background of the bronze. Even from a purely descriptive point of view, Busan's haiku is poetic enough as it beautifully depicts an early summer scene in the mountain monastery grounds. But if it were not further than that, it would be just a pretty piece of wording. Some people may think that the poet was somewhat playfully inclined putting the sleeping butterfly on a temple bell that might be struck by a thoughtless monk at any moment when its booming vibration will surely frighten the poor little innocent thing away. This utter unconsciousness of events to come, good or bad, is also typical of human life. We dance over a volcano, altogether unaware of the possibility of a sudden explosion, just like Busan's butterfly. And for this reason, one some expect to read in Busan a certain moral warning aimed at our frivolous habits of living. This interpretation is not impossible. The uncertainty of fate always accompanies this life of ours on earth. We nowadays try to avert it by means of the so-called sciences. But our greed is there, always ready to assert itself, most frequently in a violent way. And all scientific confutations are upset. If nature does not destroy us, we destroy ourselves. In this respect, we are far worse off than the butterfly. The little science we are so proud of makes us conscious of all kinds of uncertainties surrounding us and urges us to dispel them by means of observation, measurement, experiment, abstraction, systemization, etc. But there is one great uncertainty, born of ignorance and productive of all other uncertainties, which defies all our scientific calculations, and before this uncertainty, this insecurity. Homo sapiens is no better than the butterfly sleeping on the temple bell. The humorous playfulness to be detected in Busan, if there is really any, is directed against ourselves. It is a reflection pointing to the awakening of the religious consciousness. But to my mind, there is in Busan's haiku another side, revealing his deeper insight into life. By this I mean his intuition of the unconscious as it is expressed by the images of the butterfly and the bell. As far as the inner life of the butterfly, as Busan sees it, is concerned, it is unconscious that the bell exists separately from itself. In fact, it is not conscious of itself. When it lighted on the bell and went on dozing as if the bell were the very foundation of all things, the place where they find their last shelter, did the butterfly make human-like a discrimination beforehand? When feeling the vibration created by the monk announcing noontime, the butterfly detaches itself from the bell and does it regret having made a miscalculation. Or is it taken aback by the unexpected booming? Are we not here reading too much of intellectual human intellection into the inner life of the butterfly, indeed into our own inner life, or rather into life itself? Is life really so connected with the analysis which occupies our superficial consciousness, 
Is there not in every one of us a life very much deeper and larger than the intellectual deliberation and discrimination, the life of the unconscious itself, of what I call the cosmic unconsciousness? Our cosmic life gains its real significance only when it becomes connected with something more fundamental, namely the unconscious. Being so, the inner life, which is our religious life, as represented by the butterfly in Busan Saiku, knows nothing of the bell being eternity symbolized, nor is it at all troubled by the sudden booming. It has been fluttering over the beautifully scented flowers, profusely decorating the mountainside. It is now fatigued. The wings long for rest after carrying about the teeny body of the life form, commonly designated by ever-discriminating human beings as a butterfly. The bell is idly hanging. It perches on it, and being tired, it goes to sleep. It now feels vibrations that were neither expected nor unexpected. As it feels them as an actuality, it flies away as unconcernedly as before. It makes no discriminations before, therefore it is perfectly free from anxieties, worries, doubts, hesitations, and so on. In other words, it lives a life of absolute faith and fearlessness. Even though sleeping. <laughs> it is the human mind that makes a butterfly live a life of discrimination and hence of little faith. Busan's is a haiku, truly laden with religious intuitions of the weightiest importance. We read in the Swan Tzu, quote, Once upon a time, I, Swan Tzu, dreamt I was a butterfly, flittering hither and thither to all intents and purposes a butterfly. I was conscious only of following my fancies as a butterfly, and was unconscious of my individuality as a man. Suddenly I woke, and there I lay myself again, now I do not know whether I was then a man dreaming I was a butterfly or whether I am now a butterfly dreaming I am a man. Between a man and a butterfly there is necessarily a mutuality. This is called becoming. Whether mutuality, fen or becoming, wu, he, may mean Swansu is Swansu while he is Swansu, and the butterfly is a butterfly while it is a butterfly. Mutuality and becoming are human terms. Not at all appropriate in the world of Busan and Swansu and butterfly. The type of intuition given out by Busan is also traceable in Basho's haiku on the cicada. Hmm. Yagati shinu shiki wa mi izu semino koi of an early death showing no signs the cicada's voice of an early death showing no signs the cicada's voice 
This is understood by most critics and commentators to mean that life is transient and that we, not fully realizing it, are given up to enjoyments of various kinds, just like the cicada singing vociferously at the top of its voice as if it were going to live forever. Basho is said to be giving us here a moral and spiritual admonition with a concrete familiar example. But so far as I can see, this kind of interpretation altogether mars Basho's intuition of the unconscious. The first two lines, or first twelve symbols, syllables, are no doubt a human reflection on the transitoriness of life. But this reflection is a mere preface to the closing phrase, semi no koyi, the cicadas singing, ji, ju, ju, Wherein lies the entire weight of the haiku, the ju, 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 is the way the cicada asserts himself, that is, makes its existence known to others. And while this goes on here, the cicada is perfect, content with itself and with the world, and nobody can contradict this fact. It is our human consciousness and reflectiveness whereby the idea of transitoriness is introduced and asserted against the cicada, cicada as if he were not thoughtful of its approaching destiny as far as the cicada itself is concerned it knows no human worries it is not vexed with its short life which may end at any moment as the day grows grow colder as long as it can sing it is alive and while alive here is an eternal life and what is the use of worrying about transitoriness transitoriness. The cicada may be laughing at us when our reflection leads us to take thought for things of the morrow, which is not here yet. The cicada surely will surely cite for us the divine injunction, quote, if God so cloth the grass of the field which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe ye you O ye little faith, Matthew 6.30. Faith is another word for intuition of the unconscious. The Bodhisattva Avalokitesvara is the giver of fearlessness. And those who believe in him are given fearlessness, which is faith and intuition. All the haiku poets are worshippers of Kana, and in possession of fearlessness. And therefore they can understand the inner life of the cicada and the butterfly, which are never fearful of the morrow and of things belonging to it. I hope I have cleared up at least one aspect of the relationship existing between the Zen experience of Satori, of non-discrimination and the haiku poet's intuitions of the unconscious. We can also see that the idea is a poetic form, that the haiku is a poetic form possible only for the Japanese mind and the Japanese language, to the development of which Sen has contributed its respectable quota. We read just one section of Zen and haiku from Sa. Suzuki, the famous writer of haiku. And the poem, first poem was Busan. On the temple bell, perching sleeps the butterfly. Oh.
second poem is of an early death, showing no signs, so the cicada's voice from Basho. We just read two haikus and with analysis, because being of the Western mind and having a mind and being a human, we tend towards, unfortunately, towards analysis. Uh -huh. <laughs> I have a tendency towards analysis. You want me just to read the haikus and not read analysis? <laughs> All right. All right, I'll have to go into analysis of why I do analysis. <laughs> we read from Zen and the Japanese culture. S-U-S-Z-U-K-I. Uh, both Busan and Basho.